0: Father, we praise you that you speak into all the different seasons of life, into the brokenness of our world, into death itself. And as we consider this and these words this evening, may you bring us words of comfort, compassion and of real hope in the face of our sin and in the face of death. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what is grief like? Grief is like being in a bubble, no longer part of the world around you, uncomfortably distanced from what used to be familiar. Grief is like looking through a one-way window, You can see others, but they can't see you. Grief is like having a heavy weight on your chest. Sometimes you can't breathe. Grief is like wearing a very tight-fitting pair of shoes that you cannot take off. Grief is like wearing a heavy coat with all the pockets full of rocks. Grief is like being a traveller on a hijacked plane. Now, those are all just from one person that I came across trying to explain to others what grief feels like. Since I was ordained as a minister in the Church of England in 2008, I have personally taken over 100 funerals. I've only taken one in Hampstead, it happens, in the last two and a half years. The other 99 or whatever have been elsewhere. But I have taken a lot of funerals, and every single time that has involved going to sit with a grieving family most of whom in all those times i've done that most of whom they've been non-christians and sat and listened to their experience of what they're going through following the loss of their loved one and it's not surprising but each of those conversations has been different people experience grief in different ways you know there was the guy who looked at me and said We were married for 55 years. You don't get that for armed robbery. Okay. Or uh, there was the the first funeral I ever took, which you don't forget, which was for one of my neighbours at the time. And uh, three years later, as I continued to visit him, he still hadn't removed his wife's clothes from the wardrobe upstairs because he couldn't bear to move on. The thing about death is it's never very far away, and we've seen that, haven't we, in in more real terms than ever through this pandemic. Some of us just on Friday heard that a a much-loved and respected missionary church planter in France, Ed Nelson, uh, known personally to, to some of us, was killed after a tragic climbing accident that happened on Thursday. Uh, leaving behind his wife, Laura, and four school-aged children, just aged 45. If you've met uh, Romuald, Romu, who's been attending our evening services over the last year while studying in London in preparation for pastoral ministry. Romu is from his church in Paris, Ed's church, which he's been leading. And Romu's in France at the moment, so we need to pray for him, we need to pray for the church family. Uh, there in in Paris, as well as, of course, for Laura and their children. So as as we come to this in John chapter 11, we're, we're not just talking theory, are we? When we come to consider what Jesus said and did in the face of death. Life is fragile, death is certain, unless Jesus returns before we die. Now, over this summer series in the evening, we've seen Jesus in conversation with lots of different people. And here is another conversation that we see with Jesus and this grieving family. Verses 1 to 16 set the scene. A man named Lazarus was sick. His sisters have met Jesus. They, They know him enough to know that he could help. So they send word and his response, did you hear, It is both encouraging and puzzling. On the one hand, he says, well, this sickness will not end in death. And then verse 5, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so he stayed where he was for two days. And that delay seems to make things worse. Now Lazarus is no longer sick. He's now dead. And there's a hint, if you look in verse 4, that there may be more going on. Jesus says, this is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So there is more going on here than simply a sick man who dies and a family grieving him. And that's what we see through this story as we go through. This isn't just a story of Jesus raising a man from death. It's about who Jesus is and his response to the ugliness and intrusion of death in a fallen world. And we see in this, in, in this account that John gives us, we see three things that we can draw out from what happens that show us that there's more going on than a simple healing or something like that. So first, from, from verses 17 to 27, first of all we see Jesus doesn't just give resurrection life, he is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just give resurrection life, he is the resurrection of the life. So look at what happens. He speaks in these verses to Martha while Mary stays at home. You can understand her frustration and her sadness in verse 21. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Why, Why the delay, Lord? But there is hope too in what she says. I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So Jesus says... Your brother will rise again. Now, in the 21st century, that's quite a bold claim to make, isn't it? We hear that. We, you know, we live in a time when many people are naturalists or materialists, which, which means they believe that this life is all there is, and uh, that there's nothing other than the matter that we can observe around us with our senses. There's nothing more than that. There aren't any spirits. There aren't any souls. There's nothing kind of behind the physical stuff. That our bodies are made of and the world around us is made of and that we can observe with our senses and with scientific instruments and so on. And so if that's your sort of worldview, as it is for many people today, uh, when you die, well, you just simply cease to be, people think. Now, of course, actually, as I've discovered when uh, meeting many non-church-going, non-Christian grieving families, plenty of people still actually can't, even if they would say that with their lips and sort of live as if that's true, when it comes to it, they can't quite believe that about somebody who's died. They they want to believe in some sense of afterlife, some sense of value, something that, that gives meaning to life here and now. But even then, they they usually have in mind some kind of shadowy, spirit-like existence in another place. Kind of peaceful, but ultimately just an afterthought to the main event of life here on earth. And neither of those ways of thinking about death reflects what Jesus says here. He says, your brother will rise again. In other words, he will rise from the grave with a new body. And that's striking today in the 21st century. But the strike, it's, it's fascinating if you look, that isn't in itself news to Martha. She already knows this. Now, not all first century Jewish people believed in this kind of final resurrection, but plenty did on the basis of passages in the Old Testament, like the end of Isaiah, the end of Daniel. So, so the news, the, the, the new thing that Jesus says here, that isn't that there will be a time when people rise in a new creation actually the new thing is what he says next in verse 25 he says i am the resurrection and the life not just there will be a resurrection and i'm going to tell you about it no i am the resurrection and the life (laughs) it's utterly extraordinary plenty of religions and prophets would claim that they have the answer to questions about life or, or after death and, and how you achieve enlightenment or nirvana or, or however they might want to, to, to label it. But it's, it's something they just teach about, they tell you about it. But you see, Jesus isn't just another guru standing in a long line of people who claim to have yet another insight into these things. He's not just offering vague, hand-waving, trite platitudes to perclate people who are grieving, he's saying something else. He's saying, I am this resurrection and this life. In in other words, he himself is the key to unlocking the barred gates of death. He himself is the death of death. Now, he unpacks what he means by that in the next sentence. He says, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. That's what it means for him to be the, res- the resurrection. He himself is the source of resurrection life. You get it from him. He doesn't just tell you where it is. It's in him. You get it from him. He is the one who can himself raise someone from death. And, and then he goes on, whoever lives by believing in, in me will never die. So he is himself the source of life. Which is such that when you have the kind of life that Jesus is offering in himself, your eternal life starts now. So that death isn't a final full stop on your existence if you're trusting in Jesus, but it's just a comma, a brief pause in a never-ending story. And that means two things. One is that the the life Jesus offered is shaped by him because he is the resurrection and the life. When you think of eternal life, if you don't think of Jesus, if you don't think of being with Jesus, of knowing Jesus, well then you've completely missed the point. That's one thing. The other thing is that this is the answer to people who say, why can't I delay becoming a Christian until my deathbed if forgiveness is guaranteed? Do you know people who say that kind of thing? You know, well, if this, is this, this idea of free forgiveness is true, I'll just believe in him at the end of my life, and then apparently it's free, so I'll, I'll get what you're, you're, what you're saying he can offer me. But that, that's nonsense, isn't it? Because apart from anything else, well, none of us knows when death will come and all it takes is one tragic accident, and so the, the idea of a lingering, peaceful Death at an old age, with all our faculties intact and affairs in order, is by no means guaranteed. So we, 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 we don't be so sure you're going to have that opportunity to repent at the end. We might say to somebody who thinks that, or we might say to ourselves. But 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 more than that, more than that, the invitation that Jesus offers isn't simply to take part in a transaction where you get a ticket to eternity in return for trusting in Him. It's not not that. It's an invitation to a relationship with him. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the life that you get. You get to know him. And that life starts now and it gets better and better so that death itself is downgraded to a mere punctuation mark. Now don't get me wrong, we're not saying The the, the perfection of eternal life starts now. Now, This life will still be marked by sin and death. But it is a life where the Christian can know Jesus and live in relationship with him, in a relationship that is not spoilt by death, that starts now and continues into eternity. And so the person who thinks, now I'm just going to put it off, I'll come to that later. Well... That's like somebody who's maybe engaged to be married and then says to their beloved, right, well, that's sorted then. No need for any further contact till the wedding day. Is that all right? See you then. You know, that's just completely missing the point of what it means to be in relationship with someone. Do you see? So, that's the first thing we see. From, From verses 17 to 27, Jesus doesn't just give resurrection life. He is the resurrection and the life. And then we turn from Martha, we turn to a conversation with Mary. And we see next from verses 28 to 37, we see this, we see Jesus doesn't just deal with death, he weeps with the grieving. Jesus doesn't just deal with death, he weeps with the grieving. So, so look at verse 32 it's it's deja vu it's the same words actually look if you'd been here my brother would not have died but this is a different sister now this is mary and it's striking that his approach with this different sister changes it's a helpful reminder actually as we thought at the beginning everyone experiences grief in different ways and there's a time for giving answers and words of hope and encouragement as jesus did with martha and there is a time simply to weep look at how Jesus, who let's not forget, he is the son of God, he is the resurrection and the life. How does he respond to Mary's weeping in verse 33? Well, he was deeply moved and troubled. The the, the words there actually imply a kind of anger about the situation. (laughs) This is not right, Jesus is saying, that things should be like this. And so verse 35, the shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept. And this response of Jesus tells us once and for all that death is not how things are supposed to be. But it's an ugly intrusion into what was originally a perfect world before sin spoilt it. That's why death is in the world, because we turned our backs on our Creator, as we thought about earlier in the service, and we sang about it. But then grief and weeping in response to to that and the results of that is an entirely appropriate reaction. See, sometimes people think that if you're a real Christian, well, no, you you, you won't grieve. You're not allowed to grieve. You can't cry in the face of death because, you know, Jesus has defeated death. Come on, the, the one who lives and believes in him will never die. So come on, Christian, turn that frown upside down. But it's not that Christians shouldn't grieve, but that there are different sorts of grief. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, let us not grieve like those who have no hope. So when we grieve and weep over death, Jesus stands with us and weeps, but it's hopeful weeping. Because of what he then goes on to do in these verses. People often ask, how, how can a God of love and power allow such suffering in the world? He must either have the power to change things, you must either lack the power to change things, or he must lack the love. Do you see? But if he has both, the love and the power, surely he wouldn't let things carry on like this what we see here is that actually, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. He is absolutely full of love and compassion for those who suffer. He's not remained aloof. He's not not unmoved by our tears. He has come down and he's got involved in this. He knows what it is to lose a loved one. And when we grieve at the grave of our loved ones, he, he grieves with us. But it's not then that he lacks the power as if he's just sort of saying, yeah, this is terrible and that's all we can say. And we see that in the final verses, in verses 38 to 44. So we've we've seen so far, Jesus doesn't just give resurrection life. He is the resurrection and the life. We've seen Jesus doesn't just deal with death. He weeps with the grieving. But then thirdly, Jesus doesn't just talk about raising the dead. He does it. Jesus doesn't just talk about raising the dead. He does it from verses 38 to 44. You see, so far, everything he's done could just be empty words, couldn't it? It could just be mere sentimentality in the face of a tragedy. But now his words turn to action. Take away the stone. (laughs) Too right there will be a bad odour by now, Martha. (laughs) You know, what are you thinking of? But he encourages them to believe his words. And then he prays out loud so that the people hear him as he talks to his father. And they hear the connection between him and and the father who is the source of life itself. And and he calls to Lazarus, come out. And, And Lazarus comes out, hands and feet wrapped still in linen. And they remove the grave clothes and they let him go. So here is a man who grieves out of love and compassion with us in the face of death. But here is a man who has power to raise his people from death. Now, of course, the miracle that he does here is just a foretaste of the greatest miracle of them all. Where where is the ultimate proof that these are not just empty words? Well, it's in the empty tomb. Not Lazarus's, but Jesus's. Lazarus, of course, had a second chance at life, but he would eventually die again. Jesus rose from the dead with a transformed body and that's quite clear if you look at the end of the gospels you see how people interacted with him, with him. He could pass through locked doors and things like that. He had a different kind of body that he rose with and actually there's a little clue to that too in the, in the, uh, in the grave clothes. Lazarus comes out still wearing the grave clothes that he'd been wrapped in but in John chapter 20, we read of how Jesus leaves the grave clothes behind. He passes through them. He leaves them folded neatly, not, not ripped to shreds, as they would be if he'd merely revived and kind of unbound himself somehow. No, no, he doesn't need these anymore. He's folded them up. We're moving on from death. Death has been left behind. Jesus is showing. And uh, he... You know, of course, it's not just a ghost, as we discover at the end of of John chapter 20. His disciples are able to touch his hands. They're able to feel his scars. This really is Jesus. He really has defeated death, and he really has a real body. So here in chapter 11, Jesus raising Lazarus is a signpost to how he will soon end death by dying and rising. Well, how then should we respond to all these things that we've seen this evening? There are are two main responses to Jesus that we see in these verses. The first is Martha and Mary. And they simply believe his words. Can you see that? That's the emphasis in these verses. Can you see in verse 25? Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And then verse 40, did I not tell you, you need to believe. That is what matters here. Believe and trust that when he says he has the power over death, that he is the resurrection and the life, that he means it. Because it's easy to think, well, you know, this is all very well for those people then. They saw Jesus do these extraordinary miracles. But, of course, today we're in a different situation. You know, of course, if Jesus came and raised a dead person now, someone might say, you know, I'd have no problem believing then. But but without that happening here and now for me today, I really struggle to believe that these things are true. That was 2,000 years ago. But just, do you see, Jesus tells them to believe him before he's done the miracle. Do you notice that? In in fact, look at how the religious leaders then respond to the news of the miracle in verses 45 to 48, just after the reading. We didn't read this, but if you just glance down from verse 45, when they hear that this thing has happened with Lazarus, you know, what do they say? Do they say, oh, right, well, we'd better go and look into this then, because... Well, if it's true that Lazarus has been raised from the dead, well, that's a total game changer. That's gonna, we're going to need to stop resisting Jesus. We're going to need to trust him and follow him ourselves. Is that what they say? No, it's the very opposite. They hear the news of the miracle, and that only encourages them to harden in their opposition to Jesus. So in, in, in the midst of these conversations that Jesus has with grieving Family, we're seeing a very simple truth. What we need in order to believe in Jesus and follow him isn't more miracles, it's simply to trust his words, believe what he says on the basis of what he's already done in his own death and resurrection. If we're grieving loved ones today, whether it's our friend Ed or whether it's others, Here is somebody we can trust in the face of death. And and, and just just note who Jesus' words are addressed to. So they're not actually addressed to the person who has died. They're addressed to the people left behind. I think sometimes with Christians particularly, it's not actually death itself that that frightens us, although in one sense it's natural to have a sort of fear of, of the process of dying. But... You know, we might say, well, I, you know, I believe in Jesus, and I believe he's conquered death, and I believe I'm going to be with him, and I believe that my loved one, therefore, has gone to, to be with him. That, that, that's not the thing that we're worried about, actually. The, the thing where we, the, where we might struggle a bit more is, well, for those left behind, for the effect of grief on a young family, on a spouse, on a person's closest friends, the, or, or with the questions around God's purpose and timing in a time of tragedy but again what is jesus saying he's saying you can trust me i am the resurrection and the life life remember that isn't reserved only for after we die though it will be much better then but life with him that starts now He is the resurrection and the life here and now in the mess and sorrow of our circumstances today, as well as the joys when they come. He is the resurrection and the life, not just for those who die, but for those who grieve, for those who suffer in whatever way, and yet trust and believe what Jesus says about himself. We say, well, how will we cope? How will our loved ones cope if the worst happens, if the worst has happened? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I have defeated death. You can trust me with everything else. If you're still not convinced, the proof is in his words and in his own death and resurrection events of history. You can investigate, you can be sure that these things happened and therefore you can be sure that what Jesus says is true. Listen to his words, his words of compassion, his weeping with those who weep at the brokenness and unwelcomeness of death, his words of hope as he speaks of who he is. It's only these words that will sustain us through all the ups and downs of following Jesus and living for him in this fallen world, spoilt by sin. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of you as the one who doesn't merely tell us where to go to find life, to find hope. But you are the one in whom we can find life and hope. You are the resurrection and the life. May we believe that for ourselves, knowing that in you there is free forgiveness for our sin. There is life that lasts forever through death. May we believe that for ourselves. May we believe it when we grieve. And may we know you as the resurrection and the life, here and now. We pray for all who grieve. Pray that they would know you, the one who is resurrection and life in the midst of death. Amen.